And what I realized is you tend to be better at your job when you don't need your job, when you're just working hard because you work hard. And that's the revelation in itself, because a lot of us think like, oh, you got money. That means you don't have to work a job. And I was like, there's wealthy people out there who still send their kids to work. There's wealthy people out there who still work. There's wealthy attorneys out there who still work. Who the hell do I think I am? A misguided person who never experienced this. And the other thing is that um, one of my uncles who is a millionaire and he retired early, paid off his house. He went back to work. And I was like, this is like the guy I've been chasing and modeling myself after for a long time. And he went back to work. I was like, maybe there's something to that. Mm, but what's key is what you said is like, this is the first time you've done it. So it's like... You don't know until you get there. Right. Some you don't know how boring not working is until you don't got to. It's boring. It kind of feels good to know you have to be somewhere the next day. We talk episode 149. Are we on the air? Tweet talk, tweet talk, tweet talk, tweet talk. And begin. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, own, invest, and close the wealth gap. It's it's time to break down these financial concepts with your hosts, Charles Oglesby and Raphael Husbands. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! I am your host, Raphael Husbands, along with my co-host, Charles Oglesby III, JD. What's going on, Charles? Not much, not much. Just out here, you know, getting tattoos and stuff. So, uh, you know, just getting tatted. That's it. That's what we're doing. Oh, I saw that. That that was you. Okay. Who was that? Your grandfather? Yeah. Mm. Yep. He lived to be 92 years old. Not bad, man. Not bad at all. His shirt is all stretched up. He just tried to take his shirt off through the top. Nolan went potty this morning by himself, didn't she? (laughs) Yep. Big man. Went in there, went potty, pulled up his pants, and was out. Nobody had to tell him to go potty. Nobody had to take him to go potty. Ah, and here we are. Here we are. Leave this court alone. Tell the people hi, and you got to go watch your movie. Say hi. Say into the microphone. Hi. Say welcome to Tweet Talk. Um, Say welcome. Get your fingers out your mouth. Welcome um, to. Um, all right. Get, you got to go. Get on that YouTube, YouTube at four. Is he four? Three. Three. Oh, yeah. even younger. Three-year-old YouTuber. All right, close my door. All right, let's get it. Let's get it. This is Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast. You know what we do, folks. We break down these tweets and we talk about building black wealth. You can follow me on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow my partner, Charles, at Royal Todd Billion, because there's only one. And man, Charles, I thought... I, I actually thought you were going to be in the in in the RV with headphones on, <laughs> driving. I was going to start with this tweet that I found. You said the person wanting to do the work when they are uncomfortable or unprepared wins. Oh, <laughs> um, I think what's funny is that I'm still taking a break from what I should be doing uh, to make sure we hop on here and get this content for these good people. So uh, Raphael hit me up and I was like, oh, man, we got to do it because we committed to doing it. Yeah. He hit me up at like 830. And I was like, all right, let me take 30 minutes, get this stuff situated. I looked up, it was nine o'clock. I said, let's get it. But if I would have been in the RV, I'd be recording too. We have, there's Wi-Fi in the, in the, in the RV. And I was just planning strategically to make that happen. Um, but we ended up just being here. Um, we're going to head down around in like two hours and get ready to just rough it for the next few days. So I'm excited. I'm excited. It's been very, it's been a, it's been a fight trying to get uh, her to kind of go along with this. But we we did it. We got a nice RV, but there's a lot of compromise that came with it as well. So, like, I had the general idea of, of RV. She picked the RV she wanted. And uh, yes. so there's some compromise in there. Yeah, because you can't you can't bring an idea that the other that your partner doesn't like and, and get 
everything your way. Like we're gonna go RVing, and I'm gonna pick the RV. Like it don't make sense, man. They're never gonna, they're never gonna be with you. 100%. And the cool thing is I'm very happy with what the one that we got. Like, it's dope. We didn't sacrifice anything. It's a lot of space. It's very luxurious. Cool little living room area. So, they actually get better when you compromise. Mm. You did it, so. Yeah, because people but think yeah. your partner will think of things that you won't. 100%. And they will have the things that you don't. Uh, we recently just got solar. Um, well, we've always had solar, but we needed to upgrade the solar because um, we need to upgrade the solar system because I got the Tesla. And um, once you live in it, you kind of start to see how you use it. And so there was a shortfall of the solar that we're generating and the power that we're using. And so we were like, all right, the very first thing I asked this guy is I was like, honestly, I think we need a battery because most of the power that we're pulling is at nighttime when the house isn't getting solar. That wasn't even a suggestion at first. He was just trying to sell us more panels. But I was like, that's not going to solve the problem. We're just going to have more power during the day. Thank you. But we're still going to be generating <laughs> power at night. And most of our power is at night. And it's kind of interesting. He didn't even make the suggestion. I asked the question. So basically, they hooked us up, uh, got a battery that's going to carry us through the night. And then we got more panels to generate so that we can have enough during the day and also charge it for the battery to run at night. All of this, him and I worked together to kind of create this solution. And, um, but right now my credit's not the best because um, I'm just doing a lot with this house and the house is taking longer than it's supposed to be. And listen to the business credit gurus and let them talk me into using business credit to uh, invest in the house. Don't do that, y'all. Do not do that. You wanna know why? It's going to take you way longer than 30 days to finish that project. And you know what's going to happen every single 30 days? They're going to want an interest payment. And so mm. you got something that's taken longer than 30 days to turn, but you have $100,000 in business credit out there. They're going to want $2,000 a month, if not more. Um, so anyway, even though she's not working, she has the credit. And even though my credit's not where it needs to be right now, I have the income and I have the assets. So we used her credit all we needed to get. But what's interesting is we already had this discussion because another solar company came around and we talked to them and we went through the application process and we're like, okay, well, we got to do it different the next time. Next guy came, it was actually a way better deal. It was direct to the actual source and we got what we wanted. You don't get that if you don't have a significant other or what they call a sign if I can't other. So... No. <laughs> nice 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 that's cool man I, I, I don't know anybody that has solar california it's like required man nice. they required in california any new home has to have solar my parents house have solar my in-laws house has solar our house has solar now so i mean it had it and now we just upgraded it it's cool it's not what they tell you because we were still getting a bill for like 400 bucks a month from edison i did I got my hat. Okay. I you, guys sure got you, Con got you guys got Con Edison over there on the West Coast? Say it again. Con Edison is over on the West Coast too? You said Edison, uh, right? No, it's just Edison. It's not Con Edison. Ah, ah, okay. That's just New York. It's got funny you. because I heard Jay-Z said that in a, in, a, in a rap and I was like, Con Edison? He must mean Edison because we got Edison. It's all, you know, they brand another Tom Edison, but yeah, that's who generates the, that's who charges us for the electricity around here. Mm, 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 mm. So he wasn't even, he didn't even have the idea, but you came up with the idea anyway. Right. Shout out to uh, Eric Dates in the building, by the way, live in the chat. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I didn't recognize the name, but yeah, shout out Texas by way of Detroit. Shout out to the Tweet Talk listeners. So Charles, I see you working a job will have you forgetting that you are him. Yeah, man. It's so weird. Like, I have a lot of things to say about this. Um, firstly, it's just weird having somebody always looking over your shoulder, always looking at your computer screen, checking to see if you get there at eight o'clock. But also when you interact with other people, because I don't broadcast anything. Um, 
I don't be running around saying like I'm him. I just kind of just be existing and people kind of make assumptions based on whatever. I try to throw little hints out there. Like I'm going to wear a nice watch. I'm going to wear a nice suit, um, that kind of stuff, but I don't broadcast it. And so it's like, I remember one of the things that one of the girls who I work with said to me, she was like, oh yeah, I was talking to Lafayette, who was an attorney in the office. And she was like, we didn't, we, uh, we think that, or she said, I told him that I think you're going to burn out. I don't think you can handle it. Mm. And I was like, she must not know who I am. <laughs> I was like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've accomplished? Do you know what I did to get here? Like not here in this office, but where I am in terms right. of status. Like, and, um, it's crazy she said that to your face too. Right. Well, interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you've experienced this, Raphael, but what I've, she's actually a, she's an immigrant. She's from Guyana. And what I've found with like, take this how you want it. What I've found with this particular woman in particular is she's very, she doesn't know she's being rude when she's being rude. Cause that's like one of the first comment that she said to me that I was kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, she's like a black immigrant. And she doesn't realize it. And so like Juneteenth happened and she was just like making jokes about Juneteenth. Like she didn't take it seriously at all. Like she had no respect for the holiday at all. And I was like, you're a black immigrant. And you just think this is funny. Like she made a comment and she was saying like, oh, so what happened in uh, um, what? Like, I don't understand Juneteenth. And so I told her, I was like, yeah, well, basically slaves are free, but they didn't know that they're free in Texas. And she's like, oh, so they're just out there getting whipped and they didn't know they were free. And she kind of like chuckled. And I was like, who makes it? Who, who thinks that's? A, a thing that you say white people wouldn't even say that mm -hmm. and like and then later on she was like oh so are you guys gonna have like a cake for juneteenth and she's like if you are gonna have a cake is it gonna be like a chocolate cake and she was like kind of joking i was like people don't make jokes like this i think she's like tone deaf and there's a lot of people she's very academically accomplished um she doesn't have a jd but she has like a law degree from her country and then she came to america and she got her llm which is a legal master's and now she's working on her doctorate. And I've also found that people who um, are very educated are sometimes they lack common sense. And so like they're very book smart. They're not that common sense smart. Like you ever run into like Asian people sometimes and they do the dumbest stuff. And like, why would you do that? Like, that, why would that make any sense? Just yesterday, I'm over here and I'm walking into the golf course and I'm walking this way. And there's an Asian lady right here. And there's like an Asian dude right here. And so she walks and she like stands right in front of me, like, which way are you going to go? And so I kind of like wait. And then she walks past. And I was like, that was just dumb on multiple levels. Like, you probably should have either waited for me to walk past or just walk past and I'd let you go. But she like walked and kind of stood right in my path. And these people are great golfers. They're great in terms of <laughs> academic accomplishments, but their common sense is lacking. Um, and so I think you got to have a combination of both. And I think that I do have a combination of both, but everybody doesn't go through college the same. Everybody doesn't have to work and go through college. Everybody doesn't have to um, work and go through law school. A lot of people don't even have a job until they get out of law school. That's their first job is out of law school. Okay. You can leave it open just so I kind of know. But yeah. Um, so the other thing is that um, I was having a conversation with somebody about the job and they were like, oh, so it's like the same position that you left when you when you were there. And I was like, yeah. And I started to Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold up, Charles. We need some background here because the listeners need to bet some background. I need some background because I didn't know anything about this until somebody told me last week, right before we recorded, that you were back in the workforce. I was like, what? What yeah. are you talking about? So yeah, break yeah. that down for us real quick. Um, I would just say that. So I made a good amount of money. I invested a good amount of money in the stock market. Um, the market went up 
and then it kind of went down. Um, and so I'm still in a good place in terms of like asset wise, but the cash flow from like core sales has kind of slowed down. Like it's good, but it's not what it needs to be. It takes care of the health insurance. It takes care of some other stuff like that. But my health insurance is like 1500 bucks a month. Um, well, not anymore because I'm going to be able to get that through the job so I can save money there. Um, what else? Um, and then, of course, the online communities, like the online community, which was essentially going to because we all knew core sales are going to eventually slow down. But the online community was supposed to kind of pick back up. But when you get your online community literally plundered, like people were literally sliding in people's DMs like, hey, leave his thing and come to ours. They didn't go to the market and market this stuff. They went to my mm. customers and they took them. And um, and so I just kind of had to pivot. And I was like, you know what? I need another business. And I also need time to kind of regrow this business. And so in order for me to do that, I'm going to just go back and get a job. And I, I sat in it for a while and um, I was like, all right, let's go back. But there's a lot that comes with that. Um, I was very lazy. When I didn't have a job, I literally would do nothing all day, send a few tweets, send a few DMs, make some posts and go golf. And I started to realize that I was slowing down professionally. Like I wasn't, I wasn't as sharp. I wasn't as, my communication wasn't that good. Like a lot of like the reason why I have status on the internet is because I have status in real life. Like I have a professional career. I'm doing other things in, in real life. I'm getting the education degrees and all that stuff. So just me existing isn't enough. I needed to kind of get back out there. I needed to get dressed every day. I used to wear golf clothes every single day. Now I got to throw in a suit, got to look professional every single day. I need to be in a better environment. Where I lived yeah. in the fire. You talking about golf clothes now, but remember the first year after you you quit your job, you were in sweats. You yeah, <laughs> I went super low. I went super low. Hmm. She's just going to the store. She'll be right back. And you, so you um, on the couch wearing I, sweats and falling off ladders and, and junk, man. Right. Yeah. So I was. I'm happy that I got a chance to experience it, but I realized that you kind of do need to get up and do things. It's good to have a routine, man. It is good to have a routine, but it also has made me productive in terms of other things. So my Saturdays are way more productive. My Sundays are way more productive. Um, I've had to kind of work my time management into stuff. But again, my mindset now is a little bit different. So when I left, I left my job more than once. The first time I left it to be an entrepreneur full time, I didn't have anything going. I didn't have any cash flow. I didn't have any assets. The second time I left, I had a, a substantial amount of assets and I had a good amount of cash flow, but it was cash flow that required me to hustle and grind. And it, it required certain economic system, situations to kind of still exist. And so the third time I leave the job, I'm going to have, of course, the assets, but I'm going to have a strong level of cash flow that's indestructible, indestructible cash flow, not just cash flow for the moment. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal. Um, because I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I've been, I've been like, I was like, am I really meant to be a full-time entrepreneur? Like what's going on? But what I realized is if I still had strong cash flow coming in, I wouldn't have gone back. And when I say strong cash, I'm not talking $10,000 a month. We do that already. I'm talking about a hundred K a month, 40 K a month, 50 K a month, that kind of stuff. And that's where I need to be in order for me to be 100% self-employed because you got to be able to hire people. And so it's not just a matter of doing, I make enough money for me to survive. I'm making enough money for me to survive. I need to make money for everybody to survive. Um, and then also I got a wife and my wife decided that she don't want to go back to work no more. And so again, I have enough money to take care of myself and my son and make sure that the house is taken care of. But if I have somebody else that I'm taking care of 100%, somebody got to work around here. So, <laughs> you know, somebody got to work around here. But then I also was thinking, I was like, you know what? If I get up and I get busy and I get a job, maybe that'll convince her to get up and do the same. And so 
I made a tweet and I was talking about like being a man and being a leader oftentimes means actions, not just words. So I could sit here and I could say, I got enough money to not go to work. I got enough cash flow to not go to work, but you need to be able to take care of at least the things you want. But if I'm not going to work, she's going to feel some kind of way if I'm sitting in the house, even if I'm working and she has to go to work. And so I was like, you know what? I got to make that sacrifice and I got to get back to work and that'll motivate her to get back to work. And it has been, she's been getting busy. She's been hustling. She's been looking for something to do. So I kind of had to lead by action in that regard as well. So a lot of these decisions aren't just like, I need money. I need to go to work. I have money. I got cash flow. The crazy part about it is another thing that I wanted to do was take the stress off my investments because what I found is the stock market would do well enough for me to live and then I would pull the profit and then I would live off of that profit. But the better thing to do is to have cash coming in from the business, have cash coming in from the job that I can live out of and I can take care of my living expenses. And then when I make money in the stock market, I can just keep it there and reinvest it. I'd rather reinvested as opposed to extracting it and living off of it, even if I have the luxury of doing so. And so what I did is the very first month I went back to work, I probably put up about maybe like 70K in gains in the stock market. But now that's 70K that I have to invest as opposed to 70K that I'm trying to pay the mortgage with or whatever. The other thing is that I still have the dividend income. I forgot about that. I still got the dividend income that takes care of the bulk of the expenses. Um, I, I would say, you know, it really pushed me into going back is when IEP fell. So I had a very large position in IEP. I had, I would say when I first left the job, I bought SPG. SPG made enough to cover the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And then what I did is I opened up a very substantial position in IEP. And IEP, my position was so large, it actually replaced what I was using to pay for the mortgage. And it paid for my son's education in the mortgage. And so then I had this large position and also had cash coming in that was just like cash to live out of. And then IEP one morning decided it was going to tank 50%. Luckily, I got out and I only lost 5%. But what I also lost was the confidence. I lost. So let's say there's a $300,000 position in IEP. I lost 5%. I lost maybe like 15K because I just spotted it. Like I woke up morning and said it was down 20%. And I was like, oh, I got to get out of this thing. Um, but a lot of times what happens is pre-market is different than when the market actually opens. And so pre-market, it was down, I think, 10 to 20%. It was probably 10%. And so when the market opened, it kind of rallied a little bit. It was down 5% instead of 10%. I sold my entire $300,000 position. But what I also lost was all the dividends that I got from that, from holding it mm -hmm. because I needed to protect the principal. So what ultimately ended up happening is the stock faded and it got cut in half. So yeah, I saved a bunch of money by sidestepping it, but I still lost that income. Luckily, what I did is once I found like kind of a bottom around like 20 bucks, like 20 bucks per share, I bought in um, probably about like 60K worth. And so I bought like 60K worth of shares at 20%. And so I got it at a great dividend yield because the dividend yield as the stock dropped it blew to like 30, 35%. So I'm getting a huge dividend. So that smaller position generates enough to take care of my son's education. But in the meantime, I didn't know I was going to pay for his education. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I did know I had enough dividends to pay, take care of the mortgage because I still had that SPG position. So I still was able to do that, but I didn't have the excess. And so not having the excess is what pushed me back. So quite honestly, I don't think I'm an employee. I don't think I'm going to be an employee indefinitely, um, but I needed to do something to to replace the income from the dividend uh, paying stock. The other thing is that, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, is Black men don't get the benefit of the doubt. And so what I find is if I'm just sitting around the house, my neighbors be questioning things and they kind of don't have respect for you. They don't assume like, man, he must be super successful. They mean, he must be super shady. <laughs> 
And so <laughs> I was like, man, you're not going to be, I work too damn hard to get to this place for y'all to be thinking I sell drugs, man. I work too <laughs> damn hard for y'all to be thinking that like, whatever you like a lot of people look at the degrees that we put up. And I tell my mom this all the time. Like a lot of people say like, oh, he has a JD. Like, you know what I did to get a JD? I was sleeping overnight in the library to get a JD. I was studying on 4th of July for a JD. I was working all weekend and studying all week for a JD. I was on campus from sunup to sundown for a JD. Like I grinded and that means something because to work that hard for something, it essentially turns you into a different kind of person. But a lot of people just think it's just a degree. It's like, no, it's not a degree. It's really just a plaque showing what I've accomplished. Just like I said, the same thing about college education. Like, I think the reason why my wife and I's relationship works is because she has a degree and I have a degree. I've been looking at girls in, in Los Angeles who I know aren't educated. I'm like, they just don't look the same. Like, you can tell the difference. Um, yeah, I did it also to gain respect from like the people that I interact with all the time. Cause people, I don't know, it's just weird. And I was like, I could work 40 hours is easy. An eight hour shift is so easy. You walk in, you work, you go to lunch, you work and you go home. Eight hours ain't shit. So if I got to work eight hours for y'all to leave me alone, if I got to work eight hours to take care of this health insurance, if I got to work eight hours to do whatever, and I can still run my business, I'm going to do that. And if I can still have my, my wealth, I'm going to do that. Still got a house in Detroit that's worth 300K that has no debt, except for the credit card debt. Still got a ton of equity in this house. Still got multi, multi six-figure brokerage accounts. I'm still good. I just happen to have a job. And what I realized is you tend to be better at your job when you don't need your job, when you're just working hard because you work hard. And that's the revelation in itself, because a lot of us think like, oh, you got money. That means you don't have to work a job. And I was like, there's wealthy people out there who still send their kids to work. There's wealthy people out there who still work. There's wealthy attorneys out there who still work. Who the hell do I think I am? A misguided person who never experienced this. And the other thing is that um, one of my uncles who is a millionaire and he retired early, paid off his house. He went back to work. And I was like, this is like the guy I've been chasing and modeling myself after for a long time. And he went back to work. I was like, maybe there's something to that. Mm, well, what's key is what you said is like, this is the first time you've done it. So it's like... You don't know until you get there. Right. Some you don't know how boring not working is until you don't got to. It's boring. It kind of feels good to know you have to be somewhere the next day. Yeah. Somebody at my job, I was talking to him one time about work or something. And he said, isn't the purpose of building the wealth to, so you don't have to work? I was like, who sold you that line, man? Man, that's the, the biggest killer of old people is retirement, man. Yep. All, all of a sudden, you don't have nothing to do. Just waste away. And what you said remind me of this tweet that you, I saw you put out. Raise your son to feel great about himself because every single person he comes across is going to work overtime to make him feel like shit. I said that out of personal experience because people be trying to make me feel bad about myself all the time. And I was like, all I do is try to do good stuff for people. All I do is give and help. And people still be talking about me crazy. And I was like, the only thing that keeps me going is the fact that my mom always told me how amazing I am, told me how special I was, told me that I could accomplish things, told me that I was smart. And you go out into this world and everybody wants to downplay you. You walk around the city and everybody looks at you funny. You do all these different things. And it's just like, man, like people really want to hold people down because it makes them feel better. And so I had this thought the other day, I was like, you got to get around successful people. Once you become successful, you can't really hang around unsuccessful people because oftentimes the people who are unsuccessful, they're unsuccessful because they think it's not possible for them. And so you got to get around people who think it's possible and have made it possible and they believe in possibilities. If, you, if you've accomplished something and you're talking to people who haven't accomplished anything, they're going to speak fear into your plans. They're going to speak doubt into your fan plans. They're going to speak scarcity into your plans. 
And a perfect example of this is just hanging around people who have what you want to have. So the RV situation, if you're hanging around people who have RVs, you're going to notice that they're just humans. They just happen to go out there and get an RV. They're not this special millionaire, super successful person. It's just somebody who said, I want to get an RV. But if you hang around people who don't have RVs, they're going to just know like, oh, I'm not getting an RV. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it becomes becomes unrealistic and unattainable for you. But I know like we went to we went to Vegas with the couple that we're actually gonna be hanging out with this weekend. And uh, there was other couples there. We went to dinner and um, one of the dudes, we said, yeah, we're going to rent an RV for that weekend. And he was like, oh, I got some rental credits. He's like, I was going to rent one, but we it just ended up buying one if you want to get them from us. And the reason why they bought it is because they got around people who had RVs. And they're like, man, let's do this. Let's rock out. And so you got to get around people who have what you want to have and are doing what you want to do. And you got to get far away from people who don't because they don't know any better. It's not even that they're that they're wrong. They just don't know any better. And so they're speaking based off of their perception and based off of their experience, not based off of reality. Mm. And you had a tweet where you said people don't hate you until you become something. Then they have actual feelings about you. There's people who dislike me and I want to make amends with them. Like, I don't want to have no enemies. I genuinely love everybody, man. I'm for the culture. And so like there's this one dude, um, people probably know him. I think he goes by like, I forget something, but he's an options trader. And uh, he's he was in the options community. He took the options course. He had nothing but great things to say to me. And then like, he just flipped one day and started coming from my neck. And I was like, whoa. I was like, what happened? I was like, what happened? I didn't, I didn't ask him this because then what was interesting is something else happened. And he was like, on my side again. He's like, yeah, Ty Billy, the goat, man, blah, blah, blah. And then something else happened. And now he's on my neck again. And I was like... I wanted to reach out to him. But what I found is people don't hate you. They hate your success and they hate what you have. And you can't not have what you have. So I can't make you like me if you don't dislike me. You dislike what I have. The only way that you can actually like me is if I don't have anything anymore. And that ain't going to happen. It's not an and so what I found is like, I never really had people coming for me and just like really not liking me until I became like, until I, I accomplished something. Other than that, people don't give a fuck. People don't care about the dude that's sitting on the bench. Nobody has hate. For the guy they never see on the floor. But there's actual people who will go on a tirade about their dislike for LeBron James. Like there's people who are committed to talking about why they don't like LeBron James. They'll never like LeBron James. They'll show up and they'll say they hate him. Why? Because he's doing something. He needs to accomplish something. And so you just got to accept it. You got to accept that there's a dude out there whose whole idea of building up a social media platform is hating on people. But if you weren't anybody, he wouldn't have anything to say. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who came to Jay Morrison's defense. I can't be. I'm just a person who came to Jay Morrison's expense or defense who had something that could be attacked, who had something that could be talked about, who had a following, who had a platform, who've had people who've said great things about him. And so therefore we must strike that down. And so I think that when you come from a culture that has struggled we don't know how to be successful. And Dame Dash has said this before. He was like, one of the downsides of like our culture is we don't have anybody to teach us what it's like to be a millionaire. We don't have anybody to teach us what it's like to be, to pay taxes, to have to make estimated tax payments. And that's why a lot of people, once they first become successful, that's one of their biggest things because they didn't know. All they know is people getting tax refunds. They never got a tax bill. Speaking, you mentioned Dame Dash and what you were saying before, I saw you uh, took a quote I believe it's from the Jay-Z book from Michael Eric Dyson. 
black folks have always had to defend their right to be go-getters. What about that? I didn't know what I was walking into when I was reading that book, but it wasn't really a book about Jay-Z. It was more a book about business, similar to The Miseducation of the Negro. You think it's going to be about education. It's really about business. And that quote struck a chord with me, not for what you shared, but he also has another paragraph in there where he talks about the fact that even Black people who do legit things are looked at with skepticism. And I was blown away because I was like, that's why a lot of people don't want to do stuff like that. Because they're like, man, I don't want to start a fund. I don't want to uh, do whatever. Even though it's possible, I don't want to do it because they're automatically going to look at you skeptically. I walk in, like I told you guys, I walk inside of Nordstrom Rack with a $10,000 Rolex on some Gucci sneakers and they're following me around the store. I'm like, bruh, I made today what you're going to make all month. <laughs> you're like a high school graduate. But I realized that nuance requires thought to entertain the idea that there is a black person that's successful that did it the right way that just built a business when people are taught that they can't do those things speaking of that we just talked about affirmative action there's a girl who said that black people can never compete in a meritocracy that's what people think you turn on the news all you see is gangsters and, and killers and so when you see somebody who's not those things is met with skepticism i'll be thinking about that sometimes all the time like man my neighbors they be looking at me crazy i was like they don't see the fact that like i'm over here a present father a good father my wife doesn't work we have nice cars our area is always clean it's not sloppy there's not stuff all over the place i was like you don't see the word like good black people i mean I don't think you should have to make that distinction, but I think people, they always kind of, it's always met with skepticism. So it's like either you do bad because it was set up for you to do bad, but if you do well, we're going to assume that it's bad anyway. And so I posted that because the word scammer gets thrown around a lot. I can't think of anybody who hasn't been called that who's built a business. And the problem with that is we as a community got to realize what's going on. The problem is we as a community buy into that nonsense. We do the exact same things that we complain other people do to us. We treat each other like shit. We talk, we dog each other out. We be killing each other and murder each other. We be killing each other's businesses. We be bashing each other's business. We be putting each other out of business. They don't even got to do a race riot anymore. We race riot. We go and blow something up if it's successful. Not realizing, just like in the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, if you actually got in behind that, as opposed to destroying it, what could you accomplish? You know, many people I was employing when the options community was at full tilt? I had like six admins making great money, making the money that I wish I could have made just to tap on a mother effing screen and do two calls a week inside money on top of the, the stuff that they were doing. The successful business will save your community, but we don't want the community saved. We just want problems and we want to complain. People don't always want solutions, even if they say they do. People don't always want solutions. You know, the, the it's funny. People to complain and do nothing is way more comparable than actually getting out there and doing. It's so much easier to be a victim than it is to be a victor that people just, they, they do everything to not be a, vict a victor. What is like, less it's work? not possible. I can't do it. Right. It's less work. It's easier. It's, it's somebody else's responsibility. It's a lot less work. And you said that um, yeah. you Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar said one time. It took him a long time to realize that people don't really want solutions. Yeah, and he realized why he was is like if somebody has a complaint and they complain to this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and then they come to you and you solve their problem, then they can't go back and complain to this guy again, this guy again, this guy, this guy again. If you solve their problem, they can't keep complaining. People love sympathy, man. People love sympathy. Success people don't get sympathy. And like you said, it's more work. It's more work to be the victim than the victim. And you mentioned um you mentioned LeBron James. And then last week we mentioned uh Jordan and them selling the the Charlotte Hornets. So Jordan, Michael Jordan bought Charlotte Hornets for like two hundred and seventy-five mil. Came the first well, 
not the first at the time from the, in fact from then till now he's been the only black majority team owner in the nba so everybody heard that he sold his majority stake in the hornets well a week ago two weeks ago they're saying with the sale the, the team was valued at three billion which is pretty good from 275 million to three billion that's a pretty good that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh win right there and they say he might uh, profit like two billion. The good thing about it too is not only is he selling his majority stake, but he's actually key, he still has ownership in the team. He just won't be majority owner. And they say with the with the um the ownership group that's buying it, what's interesting too is that J. Cole, the rapper, is part of the new ownership group. That is interesting. Rappers are starting to wake up. Um, what's funny? I was talking to uh I was talking with By the Hood, and they were talking about Jordan and the business moves he made. He's made some pretty good ones. Um, not all of them great, but you mean pretty good. And I said, you know what's what's interesting though, like in this this day and age, like back then, people like like Junior Bridgman, Jamal Mashburn, these kind of people, they made a lot of big business moves. But after they retired, nowadays the NBA players are making it while they're still playing. Like LeBron James, everybody thinks uh, nobody knows for sure, but everybody assumes LeBron James is already a billionaire. Like all the business moves he's made, including one I think people forgot, like 2011, he, he got 2% equity stake in Liverpool Football Club in uh, in England, which is which was big because Liverpool is a big name overseas. Uh, but then two years ago, him and Maverick Carter got ownership stake in Fenway Sports Group, which owns. So now he's part owner of the Boston Red Sox. And these guys making big moves and people aren't some I don't think everybody's paying attention here. It's a new era. Um, I think it's cool to see, but but I just want the community to be making big moves. I was listening to Dr. Umar Johnson and he was saying that um a lot of times the success of the individual, people say that that should be a success of the community. And he said that we're like the only community that accepts that as like a storyline. Nah. Um, because people will say like, oh, well, America's not what it is. Mm-hmm. Slavery wasn't that big of a deal because you have LeBron James, you have Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. He's saying that like, we're the only community that will accept individual success at the expense of collective success. Other communities want collective success. And he began to list off all these groups, Asian folks, Hispanics, Jew, white folks. They want everybody to win. And so that's as true just as I look at the cul-de-sac that I live in. We live in a little cul-de-sac right here. And I would say the only people that are doing it as individuals is myself and the other black couple in the in the middle. Right to this house right there, there's a Hispanic family. There's at least two families living in that house. Behind us, there's a an Asian family with at least three people living, three families living in that house. They'd be having cars lined up forever. Even though there's a white family in the back, and I know their parents are super involved in what they have going on. Their parents are always there. They got the house with a little mother-in-law suite there. They might not live there 100%, but I know they live there when they are here. And I'm pretty sure they helped them with the down payment and all that stuff. And so while it's fun, to talk about LeBron James and Michael Jordan and J. Cole, it doesn't move the needle. And I think that's why nobody really is like, oh, yeah, like we'll, we'll post about it. But like, it's not moving the needle. It's not. We need to be focused on the collective success. We got to focus on everybody winning. We'll focus on there not being a hood in the ghetto as opposed to just like championing the success of the individual. But I will still celebrate it because I think it, it it says a lot and I'm happy to see it happening, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that's enough. I'm not going to be like, great, J. Cole's richer. So now we can do nothing. It's like, all right, cool. J. Cole's richer. He showed us what we can do. Let's go do some of that for ourselves too. Let's go, whatever that might look like. But that's just me. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but it's, I also think it's cool because they kind of laying a foundation also. 100%. 
because they are going to be hiring more black people. Um, Jordan, I don't know, but you know, LeBron got his pe- his people in there. I think it just it just sets the foundation. Let's improve the overall situation. I think sure. it's like fifty percent of what we need. It's like fifty percent. Hey. Hey, and you had a tweet where you said what you can build over what you can get access to. Yeah, that was a that was a tweet about multiple things. Firstly, it was kind of talking about affirmative action. Um, so for those who don't know, affirmative action effectively got overturned through the Supreme Court um, this this past week. And for those who don't know the details of what was going on, I'm pretty sure you guys have been able to kind of gather it through social media. But essentially, Asian students were upset that there were Asian students who were getting turned away, who were qualified over Black students who were qualified, but they were still being selected because of affirmative action. So um, ultimately, the Supreme Court said that you can't use race um, in terms of college admissions. And the reason being is because it's a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. That's crazy, though. People acting like they don't remember what affirmative action was for, but go ahead. Essentially, what the Equal Protection Clause is, is it states that nobody can be treated differently based on race. And if you're going to treat somebody based on race, it has to be based on a compelling um, a compelling reason, and it has to be narrowly tailored. Like, this is the only way that we can accomplish this, this specific thing. A lot of people don't understand constitutional law. Um, they just heard affirmative action was overturned. And so the Supreme Court breaks it down and like, oh, well, we don't think this is a compelling enough reason. We think that there's other ways that you can accomplish this, and so we're going to strike it down. So they struck it down. I personally am of the mindset that you got to take what's given to you and you got to win. And so I had a tweet, and it was like... The, now that there's no quote affirmative action, the affirmative action needs to be yourself. We need to be putting ourselves in position to where they can't deny us. And we've shown that we can do that and we can do it well. Um, the other thing is that we also need to be building up our own institutions. One of the biggest problems in Black community is the fact that affirmative action effectively drains, I'm going to pop it. No effectively drains all the brain talent out of the black community. And so you have all these superstar black people who go to Harvard instead of going to Spelman or Morehouse. You have all these black success people who now go and move into the neighborhoods and they're the spec like myself instead of being in the community and then ultimately upfield in the community. And so a lot of the things that they've given us have actually been to our detriment. And that's why I like when they roll these things back. Because now it's like, all right, cool, let's rock out. When Donald Trump was president, we're like, okay, let's rock out. And we did. And then Joe Biden became president and people thought that he was going to overturn their student loans. They waited four years and he got nothing. You know what you could have done in those four years? You could have built your own thing. You could have accomplished your own thing. And a lot of people did. My friend Ike paid off his student loans. I've built enough so I can pay off my student loans. My student Okay, no, relax. And so... I just feel like waiting on the government is the worst thing that you can do. You should be working. And if the government just so happens to get behind what you got going on, but you're already working great. But if they don't come along, cool, because we already solved the problem ourselves. And so um, I would say, what was the tweet again? Um, oh, building. And so basically, I realized that also working the job. It's like I got access to the job, but the boss is on a two, two week vacation. I was like, I used to be able to take vacation whenever I wanted to. Now I got to ask for a day so I can take off between July. So I can take off between July 2nd and July 4th. So I can just have a straight weekend instead of having to go to work on Monday and then go back to the RV. And so that's why I know that the job is not for me forever. It's just a temporary thing that I'm doing to get to the next spot of financial success. And when you build it, a lot of building things is about power and control, not just the money. And I had this thought because we were looking at how like athletes are treated and how 
Yeah, they might make good money, but they don't have any power control. The NFL can suspend you. It can fine you. It can kick you out for 25 day games. They can do whatever they want to do because you don't have power control. And so to a certain extent, you need a business just because you can control things and so you can move things. And so I'll never stop having the business. We're never going to stop dropping this content. We're never going to stop dropping whatever we do next. But that's more valuable than just being able to have access to the university when you have your own universities, access to their communities when you have your own communities that you can control, you can dictate, you can do all these different things. You can solve problems the way you want to solve them instead of how they say you can solve them. We could have been uh, solved our own student loan car crisis. We could have been done all these things. Other communities do it. No other community is sitting over here like, man, we would do well if the government just did something for us. There's literally no other community that does that but us. There might have been communities in the past that have benefited from government stuff, but I don't think that they were just sitting around waiting, doing nothing until. Yeah, I mean, I got a few thoughts, like, without knowing all, all the details and doing a bunch of research. A couple of things is, the first thing that jumps out to me is um, the Asian people that push for this. First of all, why? For one one thing is why are you so hard pressed to get into Harvard? That you're going through all this. That the same thing you were saying, like how we're trying to get into these their schools instead of building up our own. Why? Why are you so hard pressed to get into the the same way? That's not our problem, but that's just a, a thought that popped in my head. Second thing was y'all really against black people so much. That you took this to the Supreme Court. Again, not something I'm going to spend my time thinking about too much. And then it's like people will twist any kind of stats they want to, to further their case. Like somebody was on Twitter talking about how um, the percentages of people that get admitted, admitted to, to Harvard and it's 56% black people. And I'm like, ain't no way anybody going to believe that. 56% of the people getting every every year is black. When it's really 56, 56% of the the black people that apply get it in. So that's what, like four people a year or 10 people a year? It's like the percentage of the people that apply, not the percentage of the people that get let in. So y'all are like twisting facts to suit your own narrative. Um, another thing is, I think it's crazy that they, they, they repealed it or walked it back. But at the same time, what are we going to do while we're trying to appeal this decision? Like, you can't spend another four, we can't spend four years just trying to fight to get affirmative action back and not build our own things up, like you said. And it's like, what you build over having access, because access will bring you some opportunities, but building your own stuff will bring you power, like you said, and power will bring your own opportunities. So, I mean, people should have been really going to the HBCUs and building those up. Like you said, the same way, like when, when Deion Sanders was at Jackson state and we were seeing a movement of people, like it looked like people were going to concerning these HBCUs. And now that, now that Deion Sanders has left, like it's like the whole movement fell. That doesn't make sense to me. Like there was so much power to be had. If the top athletes just started going to HBCUs and you know, these coaches and these organizations were so mad. They probably would have started taking things to court too. If you think about it, Rich Paul came into the NBA and started making moves. And all of a sudden, the NBA wants to say, you got to have a college degree to be an agent. Like, what sense does that make? You need a college degree to, to, to represent? I think that back in the day, there was the Cold War where it wasn't necessarily a war, but it was still a war. And we are low-key in a war where they're firing missiles in the form of legislation and we're just over here oblivious, like, what's going on? We don't even know we're in a war. And <laughs> we're just getting taken out. Just can't take yeah, it's 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 sad when you're in a war, you don't realize you're in a war. You're always gonna be a sucker and it's always gonna be lose when you don't know you're in a war. Um we gonna wrap this up with this one last tweet. Charles, you have more money, more purpose. So one of the cool benefits of me working also is I've been having to do other things to kind of like empower me. Like when I wasn't working, I literally would just sit here and just watch golf on Netflix all day. 
or just random shows that just happen to be on Netflix. But I've been watching a lot of Pastor Mike Todd. Like I wake up listening to Mike Todd, I go to sleep watching Mike Todd. And he was talking about how um, there's like two mindsets. There's like a poverty mindset and there's a prosperity mindset. And he was saying that certain mindsets kind of lend themselves to different things. And he's also talking about how like selfishness and a poverty mindset go hand in hand. I think there's a lot of people, even if they have bread, they still got a poverty mindset around here because um, poverty mindset, it, it it leads you to destroy people because you think there's a scarcity of resources. And so we're seeing that online. Like if you don't think that you can get your own customers, you're going to engage in the act of taking other people's customers because you believe that there's scarcity out there. And so we see a lot of people who are in business with scarcity mindset and scarcity mentality. If you believe that there's not enough customers, you're going to try to charge the customer that you do get as much money as possible. If you believe that... There's a lot that goes into it. So I'm seeing a lot of people who are seeking abundance, but they come from a place of scarcity. And so they destroy everything in their path, um, including other black business owners, including some of the things that I've built and are now having to pivot into other things because I didn't do it intelligently. I didn't I, I did it like, man, let's see if this succeeds and it succeeds. So now I got to figure out a way to succeed without making myself a target. I got to succeed without I got to succeed in a way that's protected. It's not enough just to get success. You got to protect your success. And so um, going back to the point, what was that tweet again? More money, more purpose. more purpose. And so he was talking about how, like, instead of having a prosperity or a poverty mindset, you got to have a purpose mindset. And he made the point that I've made so long ago. He's like, you can't do things necessarily for money. You got to do it for people because you're doing it for people. God's always going to bless that. God blesses. God gives seed to the sower. God gives seed to people who are going to be a blessing to other people. And so I always tell people when we're doing these things in business, it's like your goal isn't necessarily money. It's helping people. It's being of service. It's making a change, making a difference, attaching yourself to something that means something. And so a lot of the purpose behind Thai Capital is just closing the wealth gap. We have people who come on and they talk about the wealth gap and the issues that we have and the student loan crisis. My thing is, let's find a way to solve it. Let me use what I know to help solve it. That's my purpose. And as a result of that, good things come to me. And he was talking about like social media influencers. And that's one of the cool things I like about Mike Todd. He's kind of like, just like us. He's in the culture. He sees what's going on on social media. He sees what's going on in uh, current media, things like that. And he was just saying, it's like, essentially, whatever you're aiming to do, do it for a reason bigger than money. And if you do that, you're going to fall in money. And that's my thoughts on that. Yep. And with that, we're going to end it right there. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, folks, at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow myself on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow the parent company at Todd.Capital. Be sure to share this episode with a friend or two. For sure. Episode 149 of Tweet Talk the Blackwell Podcast. Your host, Raphael and Charles, we are out. Where's my last tweet? Man, that was the last tweet. Oh, all right. I was going <laughs> to record it. All right, y'all. Thank you guys for tuning in, man. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit that Patreon. The Patreon still exists. We're going to start doing some more stuff for that. Also, make sure you check out the Black Men Building Wealth Conference at www.blackmenwealth.com. It's coming up. It's about a month away. Get those tickets because we're going to be limiting the ticket prices. It's not going to just be unlimited. So, um, I would recommend you get them sooner rather than later. And uh, you can get those at www.blackmanworld.com. We got Dr. Boyce Watkins, we got Ian, Ian Dunlap, we got Andre Hatchett, we got myself, and many, many more guests every Sunday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah, <laughs> says Nolan in the Batman shirt. Peace. Yeah.